Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright. The power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected, a place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from hot and sunny Southern California. I've got a terrific show for you tonight with another medical doctor turned mystic. Dr. Richard House, MD, has written a beautiful and brilliant book called Between Now and When. And he's here with us to share his amazing story and what the shift in consciousness is all about. You know, this doctor is so brilliant, and you're going to really, really love his story. And if you want to know anything about the future and consciousness, just keep on listening, because tonight you're going to get this information, and it's going to be fantastic. Now, I don't want to take up too much time, because we've got a lot to cover tonight with Dr. House, but I do want to mention that our wonderful singles cruise is coming up. Remember, we're in partnership with Larry Michael of the Four Answers and LawofAttractionSingles.com. As a matter of fact, LawofAttractionSingles.com wants to give all the single men a free 30-day membership. Join today and just test drive it. If you want to find a mate that enjoys the knowledge of the Law of Attraction, then this is the place for you. It's so nice to find a place where you can find like-minded people and who eagerly accepts responsibility for their life. So go to lawofattractionsingles.com and tell them that Jules sent you. Now, we're also gearing up for the next issue of the Law of Attraction magazine, which will be available on August 1st. One of the articles that you will be reading is a 1932 interview with Nikola Tesla. You know, this article is absolutely fantastic. And it reveals a very spiritual Tesla and how he knew how to connect into the energy that allowed him to create, to invent, to do amazing things. And then there's another great article by Albert Einstein, who wrote a love letter to his daughter. And this is where he's talking about humanity and his foresight into the future. Wow, it is such an eye-opener. And, and I got to admit, I got so excited reading these things because it's revealing another side to these geniuses. And they knew the secret. Let there be no doubt about that. 
And did I mention that we're also featuring Dr. Bruce Lipton in the August issue? August is going to be a fantastic issue. So if you want it in print and mailed to your home, you need to go to lawofattractionmagazine.net and purchase your print copy today. This is one issue that you're not going to want to miss. So let's take a fast commercial break and we will be right back with Dr. Richard House. It's here, it's hot, and it's a must read. It's the science behind the Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net that's law of attraction magazine.net and that's Samore. Join us on our Law of Attraction Love Boat for three nights of romantic fun. Want to learn how to communicate to attract love into your life? Or how about to enhance an existing relationship and even bring it up to the next level? We are in partnership with Law of Attraction Singles, the best dating site on the web, and relationship expert Larry Michael. And we want you to come and join the fun. We're going to be dancing, singing, laughing in wonderful onboard activities and workshops designed to align you with romance. It's October 22nd through 25th, going out of Long Beach, California. Sign up today at LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash love dash boat. Or go to LOARadioNetwork.com and get ready for some amore. Okay, we are back and you are listening to Jules on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Now, Dr. Richard House has been practicing medicine for over 40 years, first as a traditional medical doctor and then for the past 20 years as an acupuncturist using the chakras for energetic healing. His travels have taken him around the world three times and to most of the states in the United States for meditative and higher dimensional work. He lives in North Carolina on an organic farm with his family and enjoys beekeeping. Thank goodness he's saving the bees and animal husbandry. He holds a second degree black belt in Taiwando and is proficient with the longbow. I think his book between now and when is so easy to read and it has so much information. Wow, I highly recommend this book. So with that, 
I want to welcome Dr. Richard House. Welcome, Richard, to Love Attraction Talk Radio. I am so delighted that you're with me today. Well, thank you, Jules. I'm glad to be here. You know, I was uh, reading your book, and I was remembering all of my years in Honolulu, and you brought back such wonderful memories. When you mentioned that Hallies were second-class citizens, I'm going, oh my gosh, I completely <laughs> forgot about that, but yeah, it, it just brought me back to the malls in Hawaii when I was called, damn Hallie, go back to the mainland. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great learning experience for me. I thought so, too. It really uh, helps to have the experience as being sort of the underdog. Yeah, yeah, boy, that was something. Even it, living in paradise, it's amazing what can happen. So um, let's start at the beginning, Richard, because I found your book uh, so fascinating. It was hard to put down. It, um, it, it just dives into... Uh, a great story, but it's all true and it's very significant. So let's start at the beginning at age seven and then let's move into age 33 because I think it's important for people to realize what really occurred in your life to make you so spiritual and basically intuitive. Well, that sounds fine. Yeah, it's uh, been an interesting life. Uh, in fact, compelling as I le uh, lived it. But the whole thing started at about seven, as you suggest. And I was born in California in a small town called Whittier. Yes. A Quaker town, as it turns out. Yes. I, I used to be a Quaker, too, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? Well, I, I have to tell you, uh, just as a sidebar, um, I, my stepdaughter is a warden in um, a Quaker church in Slough, uh, England. Oh, wow. <laughs> How about that? Oh, my goodness. But anyway, um, at age seven, uh, I was a normal kid in all respects uh, until one day. Uh, I was standing underneath a, a very large tree that my grandfather had planted. And all of a sudden, I, was, I experienced what can only be called uh, oneness, where I felt like I was everything that there is. And that experience was so profound that... It took me away from being a little kid, and I felt myself to be as vast as the universe. Wow. Now, of course, uh, these experiences, as wonderful as they are, are um, transient, and eventually I realized that, in fact, I am a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, from that point forward, I experienced myself as, sort of as a dual uh, uh, identity as being a, uh, a seven-year-old kid living in California and at the same time I had this other experience of being vast. Now of course my folks and I was uh, uh, raised in a very good family. My dad a dentist, my mom was um, academically oriented and I told them about this and uh, they did not buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I reverted to being a kid for the most part and kept it secret. And that was the beginning 
of sort of this covert feeling that I had that I needed to keep these mystical experiences to myself. Mm. And then... Um, well, let me stop you there because you said uh, a sense of self and you called it, what did you call it? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, when I was in that experience, I kept trying to come up with who I was. In other words, the question is, who am I? Mm -hmm. And the word that came forward was a, a word that simply is Ichen of all things, I-C-H-E-N. And I started calling myself that. Uh, and my mom, who was um, a somewhat stern woman, uh, she kept uh, suggesting that I not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to being Richard. But I had that secret identity uh, that I named Ikin. And it was with me and in some ways is still with me. Yeah, the sense of self. I think that is um, really incredible. So what happened then, uh, I lived a normal life for the most part uh, until I was 13 or so, 12 or 13, and was walking home from school one day. And this precious identity, this Ikin, this vast self of myself, disappeared in, in, a, in an instant. It was gone. And I felt like I'd been abandoned, that I was alone and, and quite fearful, to tell you the truth. It was, I think, the first time I really experienced fear. And uh, You felt disconnected. Disconnected is a good word. I was disconnected from something that was really valuable, too. Mm -hmm. It was sort of my inner self. But as events would play out, I understand now why that had to happen. But it wasn't long after that that I had a mystical experience. And that experience took the form of sort of um, a message, a message that was inside my head. It wasn't like words. Um, the feeling was it was sort of like email, if, there, if, if you can imagine such a thing. And so maybe it, it should be called brain mail, where I had this sort of this uh, awareness that th this message was for me and it was from God. And the message was alarming. And the message was simply, you will die at the age of 33. That was the end of it. Yikes. Yeah. Now, as that occurred, you know, I had a sort of a heart racing feeling uh, not quite panic, but it was certainly, it got my attention, let's put it that way. And I never once doubted the validity of that message. It was sort of like, oh, well, so now what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, but we all know that life comes to us one day at a time. And as the days passed, the intensity of the emotion connected with that message faded. And I just jumped on my skateboard and started uh, living life uh, a day at a time. Now, after that, I was a good student. 
and uh, from a professional family. So I decided that uh, I should be a dentist like my dad. Uh-huh. And so I um, enrolled in a, a fine college and was introduced to two important things, um, fraternity life, social life, romantic love, and Jack Daniels. <laughs> wow, powerful combination. <laughs> yeah, I learned how to drink. And as soon as I um, became acquainted with that fellow, I found that it was a bomb for all the disruptive energy that I had inside myself. It was sort of like dampening uh, these other feelings that I had of loss of this other self of my uh, of my existence. And so when I drank alcohol, I felt very comfortable. And when I didn't drink alcohol, I was uncomfortable and fearful. So what would you do? You keep on drinking that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you want to feel good. I don't know a person on earth who wants to feel bad. Oh, it's so true. So um, th those things sort of defined uh, what was going to happen later. But during this period when I was a sophomore, at the end of the sophomore year at Butler, I had another mystical experience that took a form of a message. Uh, and this message was, in essence, you don't need to be a dentist. You need to be a doctor. And uh, Wow. That was um, uh, quite a thing to accommodate because at the time I had a 2-3 average out of four points. Now that was barely good enough to get into dental school. Uh, and not even close to what it takes to get into medical school. So, but once again, I believed in the validity of this message. And so I simply went about the business of accommodating this, which meant quitting the fraternity, uh, seeing my uh, girlfriend less often, and I moved into a small apartment and started hitting the books. And uh, raised my GPA over the next year to a, a lousy 2.7. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really enough to get into medical school, but somehow or other, I did. Ah. Uh, I think it was on the strength of my interview. In the summers, I had uh, sold encyclopedias door to door. And let me tell you, if you want to learn how to sell anything, that's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you learn how to charm people. That's for sure. And so during the interview, I projected some of that energy and I convinced them that even though my grade point was, was low, I was really committed to becoming a physician. And uh, they believed me and I was uh, granted admission. So wow. it turns out I was a good uh, medical student, graduated right in the middle of my class, and I found my calling. I loved it. I loved doctoring. I loved being with people. Um, so I was sort of a gregarious kind of guy then. And I, uh, if 
I went the extra mile. I worked uh, long nights and moonlit uh, in one of the local uh, emergency rooms and did extremely well. And uh, my, my friend, Jack Daniels, uh, applauded. He said, wow, you're doing great. Just keep on drinking, buddy. <laughs> 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 and so uh, he came along for the ride, so to speak. And then, of course, I completed my training out at uh, L.A. County Hospital and learned a lot about um, humanity, probably at its worst. And... Uh, it was an eye-opening experience, and I treasured it. I was very good at, at that phase of my training and um, did well. And then, of course, later, uh, I moved out to um, California and started a, uh, a practice in uh, ear, nose, and throat. I had a specialty in uh, ear surgery, which uh, is something that uh, my family has been involved in for a long time. And so I was a very good surgeon and married, daughter, all that kind of thing. Um, had a couple of nice cars and was living the life of a gentleman doctor. But <laughs> let me tell you what happens if uh, you get real close with Jack Daniels. Um, uh, th things spiral downward in spite of your best efforts. And although during the day I was really um, very competent, uh, after hours uh, I started having enormous suffering. And the suffering takes the form of fear. Um, it takes the form of isolation. Uh, and even a, a, a touch of insanity thrown in. I think I go through that pretty well in the book. Uh, I had what was called uh, Wernicke's psychosis. And if there are any doctors listening, you'll say, they would say, oh, my God, <laughs> he had that. Because what I was experiencing was some of the uh, nightmarish visions that come along with, uh, with this form of uh, encephalopathy. Wow. La later on, I would understand that what I was actually seeing were, was portions of the astral world, some of the negative entities that swim around there and I'll tell you you don't want to visit that part of town. Wow, really? Woo. <laughs> so um and of course these things always get worse as they did and I got sicker and sicker and eventually got to the point where I couldn't work. Now that was at that was coming into age thirty three? Yes. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> As a physician, yeah. <laughs> but one day I looked down at my belly. It was swollen. And um, there was a little red dot on it. And uh, as soon as I saw that red dot, I knew what was going on. It was called a spider hemangioma. And I had seen a number of these on the cirrhosis ward at the VA hospital. And so when I looked down at my tummy, I knew what had happened, that I had developed cirrhosis. Wow. And, and, of course, at the age of 33, that's fairly unusual. In fact, you have to work real hard at it to get that sick that young. But um, so what? My, my solution for this problem was to always wear a T-shirt. Wow. That way I couldn't see the thing. 
and that's uh, one of the uh, hallmarks of uh, uh, alcoholism, and that is denial. Even though my life was spiraling down and I was suffering enormously, I couldn't believe it. It was like, no, no, this couldn't be happening to me. But uh, I'm here to tell you it happened. <laughs> so eventually, and pardon my language, I started puking blood. Now, that is a, a one-way tr uh, trip to the uh, hospital. And uh, after I got settled in the ICU, uh, my doctor, uh, who is a friend of mine, uh, got all the lab work and he came in and he said, say, Richard, do you drink? <laughs> uh, maybe a little. <laughs> yeah, a few beers here and there. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, he said, well, you have um, end stage liver disease and the bleeding is coming from esophageal varices. Um, you know, a, a varicy is simply an enlarged vein that's in the swallowing tube, the esophagus. And it means that the liver no longer can process the blood that goes through it. And so when he told me that that's what I had, uh, I knew exactly where I stood. It's always fatal. <laughs> and uh, they had been giving me... Um, uh, transfusions of blood. I'd had 18 units of blood that were kindly donated by my friends and family. Wow. And uh, so we conferred a bit and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, why don't you just stop the blood and um, we'll, uh, I'm tired and I'm sick and the pain is enormous and I feel so guilty. And so he agreed with me and he stopped the blood. He said, you're going to die in a, uh, today or tomorrow. Say your goodbyes. And, and that's precisely what I did. Wow. Yeah. And then <laughs> the story got a little more interesting because sometime in the wee hours of the night, I started, I, I could tell something was happening. And what I experienced was comfort for the first time in my life. I was comfortable. It felt wonderful. The pain was gone. The suffering was gone. The fear was gone. And I just felt great. And I thought, well, if this is dying, man, bring it on. And uh, I think a lot of people that have been in that position will tell you the same thing. And it's a very valuable thing for everyone to understand that dying is actually wonderful. Wow. And as I often tell some of my patients that are in that position, I say, dying is perfectly safe. <laughs> but anyway. Wow, that is a powerful statement. <laughs> yeah. Because it feels so good. That's the first time I've heard that. Yeah, and if you if you interview people that have had this kind of experience, um, almost everyone at some point in the near-death experience uh, feels like they're given a choice of whether to go back to Earth or to continue on the, the dying process. And almost all, if not all, that I've ever talked to say, oh, yeah, Let's keep right on dying. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go back. 
someone asked me this the other day because when you look at someone that is uh, dying a, a tough death, uh, someone that doesn't have a spiritual foundation, uh, someone that's angry or upset or scared, and then they die, the question was, do they also feel good uh, when this process begins? And the answer is, yes. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of that life have been or uh, how you are dying. Uh, the experience is blissful. It's joyful. You feel cared for. There's this feeling of being embraced by God. There's this sense of enormous love. Wow, that is so, you know, I just had the thought that there's a couple of people out there who needed to hear what you just said. So, wow, <laughs> delivering the message, that's good. Well, I'm glad to do it, too. But to continue our story, what happened then is I felt myself being sort of lifted away from that uh, dying body of mine that was as yellow as a, bana a banana from the jaundice. And I could, it's sort of like floating feeling. And the experience of comfort started segueing into something that is far more uh, positive than that. It was this feeling of bliss and joy and love. Uh, I've revisited this experience many times over the years. And one of the phrases that comes to mind when I think of it is that I felt like I was love with wings that was it now that may not mean anything to some of the listeners but if you experience that it is just such a precious feeling mm. and at the height of that i again had a mystical message or a message from what i presumed to be god and uh that message was um this you will heal and work for me mm -hmm. boom that was it now, I did not think about that in any sense of the, wor of the word. I simply accepted it. I said, okay, fine. Let's get on with it. And so the process of dying was interrupted then. And I was fine with that because what I presumed to be God said, go back. And so uh, I drifted back into my body, but... Since I had been in this other higher dimension, I knew that my body had been in some miraculous way healed. And so when I did float back into that body, I could feel that. I could feel that all the problems had been taken care of. I mean, my bleeding, uh, the liver dysfunction, and the whole business. So what did I do? I started ripping out all those tubes. <laughs> Really? So, really, everything was healed? That's the way it felt. Oh, okay. Now, it, it, took, uh, it took a couple of days for it to actually um, occur. It didn't, in other words, what happened was I knew I was healed, but my body had a little time to, uh, had to catch up with that. Ah. So I was ripping out my tubes and the nurse came in and said, no, no, Dr. House, you can't do that. You can't get out of bed. And I said, well, at least give me some water. <laughs> <laughs> and two or three days later, I was out of the ICU. And within a week, I was out of the hospital. Wow. My, la my uh, labs had all reverted to close enough to normal that uh, the doctors were, were fine with letting me go. Wow. Even the liver? 
Yeah, yeah, the liver was all fixed up. Oh my goodness, how yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so um, of course that made me believe the message. Uh, because these things don't happen. And since I had had experience with, with this very condition that I had, I knew how miraculous it was. But the interesting thing is that after I got out of the hospital, I had a few messes to clear up. You know, I had problems at home and I had a practice that was uh, needed to be resurrected and there were financial problems, you know. In other words, life hit me in the face, you know. So I was dealing with all this as best I could. It was a very difficult time. And as a result, the, the bliss and, and magic of the experience gradually left me. And I was um, <laughs> amazing. I was uh, uh, on a putting green. Uh, putting, that's the way I was uh, trying to get back to some semblance of normality. Because my mind was so different. Uh, I was not who I was before, but one day I'm out on that putting green and it's hot and I think, I think I'll go in and have a beer. And then I thought to myself, really? After all of that? <laughs> they had told me if one drink could kill me, you know, and I, I believed them. So I hooked up with AA and I spent uh, um, almost two years going to meetings and and speaking at meetings and, and helping people and being helped myself. Uh, oddly enough, I, I no longer felt that I was an alcoholic, but uh, a lot of people have felt that way and have challenged it by going out and drinking again, and most of them died. Mm -hmm. So I made a commitment to myself to uh, not drink, no matter how I felt about the thing. And, of course, the AA business was just wonderful. It gave me a lot of insight into how people suffer and how we can help each other through a 12-step program or just being humanitarians. Mm. So it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, they say that you teach that which you need to learn. So, yeah, that's how AA is serving others. You are serving yourself. It's very true. And it also is a spiritual program, mm -hmm. and uh, that's a, a very important. And speaking of such things, this was really the start of my life and the start of incredible experiences that sort of go back to when I was seven. Um, what happened was eventually my uh, wife and I separated because she had fallen in love with someone else when they told, uh, they told her that I was going to die. And by the way, they're they're still married and doing quite well. I just saw uh, Slim, my wife, uh, a few weeks ago out in California, and she's just been doing great. Oh, good. But anyway, uh, I was in my own house. Uh, it was empty of furniture and was all alone, feeling real pitiful and sorry for myself, you know. And I was looking down at the floor, uh, at these floor tiles. And all of a sudden, they became the most beautiful thing that I have ever seen in my life. There was this luminescent beauty in these tiles that was just incredible. And as I'm staring at these floor tiles, my logical mind is saying, what the hell is this? How can this be happening? And yet, the experience was 
valid and I felt filled with this joy and peace just like when I had been dying. Uh, and of course it lasted for a few few minutes at most, but it was my very first experience with seeing the beauty that underlines underlies this world, this uh, gross world that you and I are so familiar with that we see every day. There is something underneath it, the sort of the infrastructure of um, the gross world that in, in time, of course, I didn't know uh, uh, then, but in time that I call the subtle world, and it is a magical world. And so those tiles were simply announcing that that world was now available for my inspection. And uh, there were several more of those kinds of experiences uh, that I relate in the book. I won't bore you. Well, that's not boring, but <laughs> no, it's not. It's very fascinating. But would you suggest then that what you were doing is getting back into your authentic self, like you experienced when you were seven years old? Yes. Okay. That's a, a very good way to put it. It was like, all right, now it's time. <laughs> Let's get back to the, where you were. But there was a difference because. I didn't understand um, how everything works. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to know. I wanted to know how this subtle world can be there and no one sees it or very few people see it. And, and then my other question was, there has to be more. Mm. And so um, pretty soon the captain announced himself again. And uh, basically the, uh, what I could see what I needed to do is to leave the practice of medicine and to go on what I later would call a spiritual quest. And so I gave away all my possessions. I gave away all my money, most of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and you started traveling the world. Yep, that's it. Wow. And so that's how I ended up in Hawaii and was um, uh, a howly there. But... I was on the island of Kauai. I think it's the most beautiful island. It is. It is. And I was in Kapaha, if uh, if you're familiar with that place. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I had a condo in uh, Pono Kai. Uh, it was a uh, right on the right on the beach. It was a beautiful spot. But as much as I had wanted to live at the beach in in a situation like that, by the time that I actually got there, it no longer made any difference to me. It was like, yeah, it's beautiful. It's probably one of the most beautiful spots in the world. But go inside, shut the drapes, get in a chair, and meditate. <laughs> that was what I did for six months. And let me tell you, Jules, if you, you or anyone else decides to meditate for six months around the clock, you will have incredible experiences. There's just no question about it. Mm. And so that's how I started understanding things. I did not read things in books. I didn't ever study spiritual matters, but I started understanding how things work. I started understanding about reincarnation. I started understanding about karmic law and all these things that later I would have words for, or names for. And uh, of course, the time was magical, and I do go through some of that in the book. But uh, it was not to be, uh, I thought it would be a just great place to stay. And, you know, 
I'd be real happy being there. But um, once again, I felt this tug. And as a matter of fact, it was a um, one of these mystical experiences again and um, meditation where I had this one word that popped into my head and it was Brisbane. Mm. And I... Uh, vaguely knew that Brisbane was a city in Australia and it was it was a Sunday and I couldn't wait for the light I had a sleepless night I couldn't wait for the library to open the next morning and went to the library of course we didn't have cell phones then and um, looked up Brisbane and sure enough it was a city in Australia and so that was the beginning of my journey around the world Wow and then you went to India Calcutta London, New York City. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so what was the basis of what you gathered from all of these journeys? Okay. What it, what it gave, first of all, I found out who the captain was, and that was uh, uh, very startling and surprising to me. Uh, uh, on the mainland in uh, Los Angeles, I, uh, I had heard a name from one of the people in AA, uh, that there was this fellow called Mayor Baba in, in India who said that he was the current avatar or uh, sort of spiritual head uh, on earth at the time. And uh, I uh, kind of pushed it aside as being not relevant to me. But uh, I happened to see his picture in Los Angeles on a wall in a bookstore. And as soon as I saw his picture, I knew it was him that had been dragging me around from place to place uh, ever since I was born, basically. Really? Yeah. And uh, the idea that, and I guess a lot of people would call him an ascended master since he died in 1969, it was very difficult for me to assimilate that from coming from a Christian background. But there was no question. Uh, he, was the, he was the guy. And so... Along with my uh, increasing understanding of how things work, I got a bunch of books that uh, either he had written, uh, he uh, uh, was silent. Uh, he uh, dictated these by uh, pointing at words on an alphabet board. Oh, and then there were some other books that other folks had written about him. These, um, and it went into a lot of the things that I understood. It sort of ratified what I'd been learning. Um, his teachings are based on the Sufis and Vedantic mm -hmm. tradition. And so that was my basic foundation uh, for the remainder of my uh, journey. Did that, that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, very powerful. <laughs> so you, you found your spiritual, well, what you resonated with the most, right? Through oh, the yeah. India, and but you had also discovered that you intuitively brought this information to you. It's simply like you already knew it, but That's he it. he clarified it. He he gave me words. Right. Yeah. Right. I understood the concepts, uh, and the more I read, the more I understood that what he had uh, laid down was correct. And, of course, everyone has a different understanding, and I'm not suggesting that his is the only or the best, but for me, it was what worked. And so I used that. And now that's how I ended up in India, because it turns out that Brisbane, the place I had des decided to go, he uh, had a group there. Uh, and <laughs> I didn't know it at the time, but... Um, 
I discovered that there was a, a group of followers there, and I learned a lot. He did not set up a religion or any kind of uh, organization, but these folks uh, really did help me. And eventually, uh, I stayed there for several months and uh, worked on the grounds there. But um, eventually, I ended up in India and spent time at the Mirababa uh, ashram, but I had the very strong notion that there was something that I needed to do. And that was to, of all things, walk across India. Wow. <laughs> and I had been training for that for some months uh, when I was in Australia. And I had a backpack and, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, a very exuberant, excited sort of attitude about doing it. But when I actually got there in a few days before I was going to start my walk to Calcutta from Bombay, uh, one of the the older folks that sort of ran the ashram, um, he said, oh, you can't do that. He said, if you, you know, you'll be killed in the first day. They'll, they'll kill you for your backpack. Mm. And uh, I was so disappointed because I... <laughs> This was sort of my spiritual destiny, or at least that's the way I saw it. But um, uh, then once again, I had this sort of message in my head, and it was such a wonderful relief. It was like, you don't have to walk, just take the train. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. I said, oh, oh yes, sir. <laughs> so that's what I did. Well, and so it was easier. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was a whole lot easier. Um, and I know we're kind of short on time, but I'll just um, sort of encapsulate what happened. What happened was uh, that in Calcutta, I met a, um, a soul that I, I believe is one of the guardians on Earth. Um, and he opened up the pathway for me to enter some of the higher dimensions. And um, that process took place. Uh, it began in Calcutta and then continued in London, uh, which was a very magical experience, which I won't go into now. But eventually I uh, be, uh, was introduced to each and every one of the higher dimensions. And then when I was in New York, I used that uh, information to uh, sort of begin my work. Uh, that was a long time ago. and I didn't talk about it for a long, long time. In fact, I, I have a little trouble talking about it even now. I had trouble putting it down in writing. But um, it was a very uh, important time, and it was uh, what I did there was uh, help uh, organize the infrastructure for uh, the new age that's coming. And uh, there are a lot of folks that are doing that kind of work, but you hardly ever discover them because they're mostly silent. But Well, okay, go back because you said something really important. New age that is coming. Right. What do you mean? <laughs> well, the title of my book, Between Now and When, mm -hmm. actually refers to this. Um, now is what we have, of course. Uh, which in the East is called the Age of Kali, or the Machine Age. Uh, it's where logic and rationality and, uh, and so on uh, have been raised to its uh, highest level. 
And uh, what we are headed towards is an entirely different era, which is not based on logic and rational thinking. It's based on intuition. Yay! <laughs> now, various traditions call this new age various things. I, in, the, I, in the Christian religion, I think it's called uh, the rapture or... Uh, heaven on earth, something along those lines, um, the return of the Messiah, perhaps. And um, in new, new thought circles, it would be called the Age of Aquarius. Uh, or the Golden Age. The Golden Age, yeah. In fact, uh, it can be called a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Now, that's why I wanted to t uh, mention those experiences with the magical land that I was talking about earlier. Uh -huh. I actually call that the beautiful land. Mm. Now, that's what we're all going to experience, not just occasionally, like I did, but all the time. So our consciousness is being prepared for that right now. It's do you understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm hanging on to every single word here. Keep <laughs> going. Don't stop. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the work that I did and the work that others do will help this shift. Now we're right in the middle. So uh, the sh the new age would be what I call when you know uh, and. And we are right in this limbo state. And we are seeing the very worst of the age of Cali. And, you know, with all the mess in the Middle East and, and oh, yeah. all Everywhere. this. Oh. Absolutely awful. But it is necessary. And it's hard to get wrap your mind around that. But what it, we are experiencing right now is the absolute worst that this age can give us. And eventually, it will implode. It has to. Right. And uh, if we look at the new age as the phoenix rising <clears throat> out of the ashes, uh, well, there has to be a fire before there's going to be any ash. And so eventually what we're going to have is a huge disruption in what we call our um, world culture. Now, whether it's uh, war or... Uh, some other kind of event. <laughs> I was just talking to someone the other day, and I said it wouldn't take much. All it all it would take is a solar flare, and uh, wipe out the internet. I said, how long do you think it'd be before we have the apocalypse? Uh, I think about three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our whole system is so incredibly fragile, or the economy, which is also fragile. Uh, no one understands the economy. No and it would uh, it wouldn't take much. So anyway, my focus is not on that because that will take care of itself. It's already in the in the works. You know, it will it will reach its illogical end, and there will be a huge uh, disruption, and lots of people will suffer, and lots of people will perish. But uh, what happens on the other end of that is so beautiful is so wonderful that it hardly matters. Mm -hmm. How about that? I love it. I love it. 
So, you know, uh, uh, of course, I don't like hearing that, you know, there's there's bad times to come because I but you're you what you're saying is, is that this is the time that we need to develop our intuition so that we can be or feel um, that the good side of it. Oh, so true. Now, every single listener that is hearing these words can help and um, the way that's done is by living life to the best level that we can and we all know about um, the non-virtues jealousy uh, hate uh, anger selfishness what we all need to cultivate is the opposites of all those things and the opposites to almost all of those are love mm -hmm. the opposite of jealousy is love the opposite of hatred is love and so if we start living in love and it's not easy it's not easy i live on this earth too and uh, you know i see patients every day can you believe it i still work yeah, um, <laughs> yeah i know you're an acupuncturist now aren't you <laughs> yeah you. yeah yeah but i but i work through the chakra system and so uh it, i guess it would be more accurate to call it some form of esoteric uh -huh. healing but you know, the sign out in front says acupuncture <laughs> gotcha but anyway so if we just try and turn our lives into what all the saints and sages what jesus said if we simply try and love other people not as ourself which i believe is the way jesus put it but to love other people more than ourselves, and we can put that into practice in our lives every day so the people that do that are helping to pave the way to the new era the new new age Wow. Wow. That is so good. Isn't that something? I guess that I, 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 the only way I could simplify that is by saying I love my listeners more than I love myself. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. They're sure. so important to me. Every single listener. I don't know them. But they are so important. They are my life. They're they're my family. Isn't that strange? It's not strange. It's wonderful because you have that understanding. Now, if everyone would take that notion to their workplace, this world would change much more quickly. Mm. And I think it would abrogate some of the suffering because there will be pockets of people that are just living through love. And uh, hopefully the suffering won't be as bad for them. And, uh, you know, we can do it within our families. Um, we can turn away from all the uh, enticements of this world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even as we are talking uh, through a computer here, uh, a lot of that stuff uh, is really interfered with our closeness to one another. And I think that will be reestablished. Uh, in fact, I'm looking forward to the day when the, the electricity goes off. Uh, as much as I like air conditioning living here in the South. <laughs> but uh, because we will no longer be distracted by technology. Technology has brought us to this place. It's necessary for us to be here. 
but it has isolated us. It has uh, turned us into a nation of watchers. That's and true, and and I will agree with you. But there's also a very other important aspect of that, which is the good side, is that we are able to connect on a personal level with people in other countries. For example, uh, the there are Israeli citizens sending love letters to people in Iran with love, saying we are not our governments, we love you, we honor you, we want no war. So in that sense, the internet uh, is bringing a a new sense of connection to the rest of the world. That's what I'm getting. Oh, uh, you know, I stand corrected. um, You're absolutely right. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think you'll get, um, you'll be interested in, in what I have to say about that. Okay. The internet that connects us uh, depends on these um, gadgets. Right. But we are headed in the new age to a time when we have that same connectedness without the gadgets. Yes. Oh, I love it. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Uh, No more more NSA looking over us in the internet. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> no, this is terrific. If we could do it on uh, our own personal intuition and connection with others and communicate with others without these gadgets, you're absolutely right. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Yeah, and the uh, infrastructure for that is in place. Uh, really? The uh, Are you familiar with the ley lines that are on there? Yes, the I heard okay. about those just recently. Okay, well, the ley lines are the internet you see um i i can't remember if i get into this in the in my book i think i do mention it because yeah i do i i um there's another book that's why i uh, oh okay but um yes i mentioned the ley lines i first saw them when i was in new york and then later on when i was traveling across the country uh, i saw them again in the mojave desert uh, the ley lines are sort of like latitude and longitude. They're these uh, crisscrossing lines of energy. Right. And there's one in Mount Chester, too, I believe. There are uh, energy spots oh. where the ley lines converge uh, in, in certain ways. Yes, they're all over the world. Okay. Um, I call them either primary or secondary spots. But uh, getting back to my original thought, the ley lines are everywhere. Uh, there's not a spot on earth that doesn't have these lines of energy. And, uh, as a re- and they also extend up into the atmosphere and they go down to the core of the earth. So it's not just a surface phenomenon. The, uh, the mystics are starting to see these lines and understand them more. Um, and even my understanding of them continues to deepen. But these are the vehicle for us to use our intuitive uh, and subtle bodies to communicate over long distance and with other people. The, uh, the aboriginals in Australia uh, recognized these lines, you know, a long time ago. Uh, they call them song lines. 
and I'm not exactly clear on how they did it, but um, they used some sort of vocal harmonization in order to navigate over long distances uh, in the desert. So they were using the ley lines probably, and some of the first peoples or indigenous peoples uh, had these abilities. And of course, our animals and insects and so on also use the ley lines. Uh, you know, scientists haven't been able to figure out how butterflies, you know, fly from uh, Mexico to wherever they're going. Yeah. Uh, they're using the same navigational system. It's like a GPS system that's built into the earth. Wow. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating. <laughs> I yeah. love this. You know, we are almost out of time, but would you please come back on to the show? Uh, we have got so much to talk about. You have got so much information. I, I, I just think this is, this is really a powerful show, and you are just an incredible human being and a blessing to us. And, and my goodness, I, I'm now a true follower of yours. I'm a big <laughs> fan. I just love everything about you. This is just terrific. Oh, well, that's very kind. I, I do want to throw in a little something here. Um, <clears throat> I have followed up with this book with a, another one that goes into the metaphysics better. Um, and a third one after that and a fourth one after that. Wow. So there's a lot more to come. And I think the reading this first book would be very good preparation for a lot of people that are interested in this kind of stuff. And I have to throw in a little commercial here. It, uh, anyone that wants to find out how to get a book, they can go to my website, which is richardhousemd.com. I tried to make it simple. Between now and when, how my death made life worth living we are supposed to get to know Richard House a little bit better, and we can truly do this by his books. I, I really feel that you are a huge friend to us, and um, please, you've got to come back on and talk more. It would, be, it would be my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at loaradionetwork.com and have a great week. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.